Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery. This episode is sponsored by PDMA. That's the Product Development and Management Association. PDMA is a global community of professional members whose skills, expertise, and experience power the most recognized and respected innovative companies in the world. PDMA is also the longest running professional association for product managers, leaders, and innovators, having started in 1976. And I've enjoyed being a member of PDMA myself for more than a decade, finding their resources and network really valuable. I'm glad to be hanging out at their conference now. They invited me to their conference to interview some of their speakers. I'm in Orlando, Florida at the time I'm doing this recording, at least. And the speaker today I'm going to talk to gave a keynote just this morning on the topic Reimagining Engagement in Product Development and Management, a Masterclass on Employee Experience in the Future of Work. And it's appropriately named. It was a masterclass. I really enjoyed it. Employee engagement remains very low, and everyone seems to want more of it. At least our leaders do. And I think to be productive, we do too. What seems to be missing from the conversation is an understanding of the science behind engagement that might help us. And also, I want to learn how engagement is connected to creativity and innovation. And I bet you might value that as well. With us is Dr. Brad Shuck, who is an internationally recognized and sought-after leader in the areas of employee engagement, leadership, and organizational culture. He is the author of Employee Engagement, a research overview. He routinely works with leaders throughout the public and private sectors, and his insights are widely applied in the world's largest Fortune 500 and Fortune 50 companies, as well as small and medium-sized organizations seeking to grow and empower employees at all levels. Listeners, just as a reminder, if you want a written summary of everything we talk about, including a one-page action guide of the takeaways that Brad will share with us, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 415. Now, before we get into employee engagement, you are also at the University of Louisville in Kentucky. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, what's it like being down there? I love Louisville. I'm a, I'm a Louisvillean, so I'm a Louisville so, so you, you say appropriately, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. can't quite get that out. You have to put, like, rocks in your mouth. And it's, <laughs> it's Louisville. Louisville. Oh, it's very good. Uh, very I'm good. getting there. You're close. I've been on the campus one time. Okay. And not, I guess not officially on the campus, maybe. I went to First Bill. Yes. Which GE spun out as a innovation incubator. And they build a countertop kitchen appliances, yeah. more or less. And they try to spin some of that information back in. And I went there because I was fascinated by that story, right? I guess what this was. I took my two kids. One third, at least, of that building is a makerspace that students can use. They integrate right. with the university. That's right. But the public can come, too. That's right. We had a great time. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we are really proud. The Speed School of Engineering at the University of Louisville is one of the top engineering programs in the country. It is a, an incredibly competitive program. And the kind of work that comes out of the university in terms of copyrights, patents, new innovations, it's amazing. It's just absolutely incredible. Fantastic. Sounds like my son might have to take a tour. Come he's, on down. Let me know. He's interested in engineering and starting to look for college. Great, great, great. We love to have him. Awesome. Okay, so employee engagement, the, this is your area. You have a lot of depth in this. First, though, we need a definition. Yeah. Right? Tell us what employee engagement should mean. Yeah, and so then the conversation over the last couple of decades is what is it? what does it mean? How do we define it? And the research team that I work with at the University of Louisville has really tried to come up with a concise definition that works across context. I think, I think engagement is important. I think employee engagement is important. And those two things aren't different in terms of principle. And so for me and our team, the way that we define employee engagement is the maintenance, the intensity, and the direction of effort that I give to something. And employee engagement, it's what I give at work. 
or what I give in my job or to a project. What I love about that definition is we can take those ideas around where I'm placing my time and my effort and my energy and apply those into spaces like creativity and innovation and development. And we can look at engagement from a variety of different perspectives and lenses. Okay. So the key parts of that was maintenance, intensity, and direction. That's right. Yeah. So maintenance is my ability to maintain a sense of energy into something. Like how interested am I? How willing am I to stick this out? And we saw, we've seen even in innovative spaces and creative spaces and our workspaces where this is really about how long I'm willing to put myself into this. And that's where I think purpose and meaning really become really important. The intensity is how much of myself am I willing to give? Am I willing to make different decisions to be a part of this? Am I willing to do things differently? I think that when people are really engaged in something, their level of energy is just, it's, it is intense. And we can see that. We've seen that. We've worked on projects before. We've been just really sold out to them. And then the last piece of it is the directionality piece. And I think that's what separates employee engagement from other job attitudes. Things like commitment or satisfaction or involvement all have a sense of satiation or status quo. But engagement has a driving force that pulls us forward. And so for me, when I'm really engaged in something, it is about how much of myself am I willing to give? How much, how intensely am I willing to give that? And how much of that is moving forward? It's not sitting still, but it really is pushing us forward. Yeah. So this isn't just about time. Nope. Right? There's a lot more in this. As you were describing that, especially the directionality, the commitment, it's like my very first time I came to a PDMA conference was 2006. Main keynote was Marissa Meyer, the mayor, who we know is the CEO of Yahoo once upon a time. But at that time, she was one of the early product managers at Google. And her group was responsible for Gmail. Yeah, wow. And she was talking about, it was actually one of the guys on her team that at 11 o'clock at night was just messing around with this idea that that might be, let's show people information that's relevant to them that relates to what's in their mail, which they thought was a terrible idea because it feels weird that the algorithm is suggesting things that's in your mail. Later became Ad, AdWords, AdSense, the yeah. powers of revenue. But this was in the context of that 20% time. And I thought, hold on, the way you've described this person's 20% time was in the middle of the night. They already had probably the 60 hour work week and they were doing the 20% time, so to speak, like Google says, you get to do your own project on top of that. But there was something about that, that commitment, like, man, this is just great to be a part of, that people still wanted to do that. There's a pull towards, I think belief is something that is a really powerful force in the area of engagement. And I think that's important here when we talk about innovation and creativity. Do I, do I believe in this? And I think belief has an emotional connotation. We happen to be at Disney World right now. One of my favorite stories about belief is taking my daughter to meet Elsa and Anna at Magic Kingdom. And you and I both know that we're not in Arendelle. Like, Arendelle is a fictional place and a movie that was created by Disney. But my daughter... Hold on, hold on this is news. What, I, did we... Maybe I, shouldn't have, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have let the cat out of the bag on that one. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have let the cat out of the bag on that one. <laughs> my daughter's standing in line, and it's a hot day, and we're sweating, and it's miserable. But, man, she believes she's going to meet Elsa. And then she rounds the corner, and she sees a woman dressed 
as Elsa and she runs to her. And my takeaway from that is our beliefs drive our behaviors. And so when we believe in something and we believe in a product or an innovation or we're onto an idea and we're sold out to that idea, engagement happens naturally because there's a sense of belief and purpose in what I'm doing in front of me. Yeah, yeah. And that belief is important, right? Huge. Um, it's huge. One of my favorite change management models, right? Most of us have some natural tendency or reluctance to actually change, right? We, I do. For me, I feel some threatening in my gut. Hold on. I know how I've been doing things, and now you're asking me to do things differently. What's up with that? But one of my favorite models talks about you need the first steps towards whatever that new vision is or new state of things to be believable to people. That's right. If they're not believable... Why would they do them? Why take the journey? Yeah. And it goes back to the idea of safety and engagement around, is it worth the risk? And if you can't see the first couple of steps, you better have a really compelling reason why I should believe in that. And But when we can see the first steps and we can see that it's possible, I think amazing things happen in atmospheres like that, cultures like that. So employee engagement, we know the, we've read some of the articles lately, no doubt, seen the headlines, right? It's down. It has... It seems like it's hovered at 30% something in the annual surveys for a few decades, more or less. Yeah. It's particularly down since COVID. It's gotten a little bit worse and with the number of people being un unengaged going up. We could be talking about this from like an HR director's perspective. This is my experience. You take an evidence-based approach to this. Tell us what that means. It means we use science to drive decision-making. So my job as a research faculty at the University of Louisville is to do the primary work myself. We go out into the field, we will field surveys, we will run studies, we will talk with people. We do a lot, we do a lot of mixed methods research, a lot of qualitative, quantitative research that we blend. And then from that, we derive insights that help us understand what steps should leaders be taking today. So for me, using an evidence-based strategy helps leaders make evidence-based decisions in the moment. And I think right now we need that. There's plenty of data and there's lots of noise. Being clear about what that data means and having a line of sight to, all right, here are the things that are really most important for me is about what evidence-based practice means in this space. Yeah, I think that's really relevant. It's, I appreciate people that have good experience, especially if they have experience in small places. Of course. But I value, and not just because I did the PhD thing too, but I value that recognition of let's be driven by some actual credible research and findings. It's why I put, it's why I will oftentimes use citations in workshops or in keynotes or when I'm working with organizations, because I want them to know we didn't come up with this last night on the back of a napkin. There's some, there's two decades worth of work here that we can look back on and say, here's how the trends have changed over time. Here's what this is meaning today. Just get a little geeky just for a minute. Please. But you said something that I want to underscore that people may not recognize, right? You talk about mixed methods. Mm -hmm. We do typically, there's ways these come together, but typically the qualitative research is for us to help to understand what is going on here and build a model that says, this is what we think is going on. And then we do quantitative research to say, okay, let's test our model and see if we got it right or not and refine or go back to the drawing board if we need to. And it's a really powerful way to understand what's truly going on where we just don't have one side of that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Because each of those gives us a piece of the puzzle, but together they can give us the complete picture. Yeah. Okay. So help us out now. We all want the magic wand. How do we get more engagement out of our team? And I want to give us a specific context. So listeners are somehow involved in creating products, right? We have a lot of product managers. We have a lot of product leaders. So let's focus on the aspiring product manager that wants to move into leadership or the person that's already there. So I'm going to frame this as the maybe the product VP 
responsible, responsible for the product management team, maybe some designers, and really integrating all the time, interacting with marketing and sales development and the like, and presenting the product picture up to the executive team. Yeah. So they have a little bit of actual authority and they have reasonable influence, hopefully. What can that person do to help with engagement? And maybe it's the same thing all of us can do, but I'll frame it that way. Yeah, no, I think this is a really important question right now. So the first thing I would say to that aspiring product development manager is to build a community around you. I think support right now in the workplace is really important. To the degree that organizations can provide support and, and, and places of community, I think that's important. The other thing I would say is it's about intentionality and being intentional. And so culture and engagement doesn't happen by accident. It is something that we do. And some people will be like, we just, we just work here. This is just how this happens. And I'll say, oh, there's an organizational narrative here. You may not know it, but there is a narrative here. And you can use that to help drive engagement. The intentionality piece here becomes really important. But if I was going to tell this product ma development manager two things, it would be there are two areas of currency right now around culture and engagement, and that's purpose and belonging. And those words seem perhaps really pedestrian. You know, purpose and belonging, really? Like, that's what's it? I think I know from the research that having a direct line of sight to work that is meaningful I know how my work is impacting the end product. I know how my work is impacting the company. I understand how my work, the decisions that I'm making on a day-to-day -day basis, the innovations that we're developing are helping people even outside of the organization. And continuing to communicate that, that sense of purpose is really important. And the second piece of it is belonging. And belonging has everything to do about how do I see myself here? Do I fit here? Is this a place that I can be myself? Am I a part of the team or am I not a part of the team? And there are ways, there are messages that we get throughout the day or throughout the week or throughout the month that build over time that tell us whether or not we can really belong here or not. Is this a place that, that I can be myself? I can raise my hands in meetings. I can give my best ideas. Or maybe I won't. And I'm just going to keep those to myself. And as a leader, you'll never know that somebody didn't give an idea. They just won't do it. And you'll see that disengagement. Sometimes it looks like pushing back from the table in a meeting. We've seen people do that, like physically push back from the table. We've also seen people who are normally vocal stay really quiet. And I would just investigate those. I would, everything okay, things going on. And again, driving that sense of purpose and belonging here are absolutely critical keys to driving engagement. And you frame that in the context of a narrative, right? There's a bigger story here. And all of us want to feel like we're part of something important. Yes. This is Maslow's hierarchy, that we want to be part of something that makes a difference. And if we're in, at NASA going to the moon together, that is what we're about, You'll right? behind that, yep. Yeah, that's the purpose we're trying to frame in a narrative, right? As the product leader, I at least want to make sure that everyone on the team understands why is this important? No one wants to be on a project that doesn't matter, right? Yeah. So. You're just building widgets at that point. It is, it's about piecework rather than innovation and ideas. Suggestions for belonging. How do we pay attention? Yeah, you know, yeah. draw people in for sure. If we're doing the virtual meeting, I think a good expectation these days is to say webcam stay on. Yeah. At least then we have another tool to help us maybe see people disengaged a little bit. And so much takes place in the virtual teams. Other suggestions, pizza parties on Fridays. What are we doing? 
Yeah, so I love the pizza party idea, but it's not the pizza. In the same way, it's not the it's not the coffee mug or the pen or the swag or anything. It is the intentionality behind it. We're gathering together to to just get to know one another. We just happen to also be having pizza, or we happen to be out at a restaurant, or we happen to be meeting at this place. I think finding ways to help people know they belong are oftentimes rooted in things that are easy to do and easy not to do. It's just a simple recognition of, hey, I see you and I value you. And that comes in the form, if we're virtually, it might come in the form of an email. Hey, I want you to know you did a really great job in this meeting. I saw you. Hey, thanks for speaking up. You know, came up to me today and spoke words of encouragement to me. You know, they didn't have to do that or take their time to do that. That's a gift for me. And now I know, now I'm like, well, maybe I need to become a PDMA. Maybe this is a place that, that I could belong, right? I do think that there's something about ensuring that new employees on a team are, we almost over-communicate that sense of belonging. And so maybe they get a box of things from us and it's, a, it's logo wear or it's their new technology. And maybe there's some notes so the box with the swag is really about helping people know that they've anticipated my arrival. There's not a, there is an expectation and there's expectation for me to bring my gifts and talents into the workplace, but there's also an anticipation for me to be a part of something. If we're getting crazy here, I wonder what it would look like to include people's partners and spouses. So much of what innovation and product development could be maybe happens after hours or happens in long meetings or in these marathon projects where we just go for a really long time. What would it mean for me to include my team's partners and spouses and levels of communication or including them in dinners and trips and things like that? Those kinds of things, they not only build engagement, but they build a sense of loyalty and pride with the team. And people say things like, I'm proud to work here. That makes a big difference. It's huge. It's huge. And these are easy things to do, but they're also easy not to do. And they're also surprising. They are. Because they're, it's not very common. I'm trying to place in my mind what this was, and it's not coming to me. I remember distinctly someone telling me, and when I started this job, they also did so-and-so for my wife. Yeah, that's right? amazing. Yeah. Wow. Like, that was welcoming yeah. you really meaningfully into that. I'm reminded of a time I interviewed for a job in Miami, Florida. Now, I'm from Kentucky. Moving to Miami was not in the cards. It wasn't going to happen. Our family had put our foot down or their foot down. They've drawn the line in the sand. You are not moving to Miami, Florida. And that organization flew my, myself and my wife down, had a separate itinerary for my wife, took care of her, made sure that she could meet with the people that she needed to. And our interviews went in and out all day. We, would, we had breakfast together and then she went out, had lunch together and then went out and then had dinner together that night. That was such a moving transformational experience because nobody expected that they would take as good of care of my wife as they did of me in recruiting. We made the decision on the plane ride home to move to Miami and live there for six years. And it was amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. But it's in, that's belonging, right? That's what belonging looks like. It's really good. You, on this belonging aspect, you mentioned something this morning, which was lonely, right? And particularly leaders that tend to feel lonely. But I think this is true for a lot of employees, especially if engagement's low, right? Just kind of showing up. I do find it w with leaders also that they're battling big problems and they feel like they're kind of alone in that. And especially at this level, if we're talking about the product VP, in the organization, they realistically don't have anyone else that they can talk to in that organization that understands their work and their pressures and what's going on. How do we help with this loneliness thing? I mean, frankly, coming to this conference is something why product leaders come here. 
How do we help with that issue? Yeah, so community is really important here. And I'll be honest with you, I was really surprised to have conversation with leaders about loneliness. And it came up, I was talking with the senior vice president of a very large tech company. And they were doing an offsite retreat. They needed some help in putting some activities together. And a great company, great, great company. And I started to go through a series of activities. And then I mentioned sometimes leadership can be really lonely. And I could see her facial expression completely change. And she paused and she said, we've got to talk about this. Can you talk about loneliness to my team? And, and that's what we did. We went in and for what was scheduled to be a 90 minute session, like a hard stop, like you have 90 minutes and you have got to wrap this up, turned into a four hour listening session of just how are you? things okay? What are you doing to care for yourself? How are you pouring into your bucket? Because you're pouring out a lot into other people. Tell me what you're doing for your own self-care. And we ended the conversation on, I was working with their entire team. I can still see the room. I can close my eyes and visualize the room. This team here has to know, each individual member of the team across the table has got to know that they can come to anybody on this team and that you'll have their back, that there's a sense of community, that, that this team is aligned. And if you don't have that, you're working on islands. And that sounds really good for like a week. Like if I was on a desert island, it'd be amazing. Be like, I can do what I want. I can sleep when I want for about a week. And then I would be, I'm kind of miss my family. I'm a little bit lonely here. And the longer that goes on, the more isolated we feel. I think right now there are a lot of leaders, there are a lot of employees that are lonely. For me, this is the this is why purpose and belonging are such critical variables in driving culture and engagement right now. One reason why I got involved with PDVA originally and groups like it is being able to talk with other product managers. And these days I, I have this thing called the Rapid Product Master Experience where I help organizations really build up their product managers, awesome. get them on a foundation with each other, build trust and collaboration. And it surprised me that in even these really large corporations, product managers, as we get about halfway through this experience, they turn to each other and say, guys, we can never talk to each other like this. This is just so great that we get to have these conversations. And one thing they want to do, and I encourage them to do after that, is keep this up. Do the once a month lunch and learn something. One company had a lounge next to them that they routinely went to afterwards. At the Amazing. Time. It's like, yeah. Go there, just call at four o'clock, we're all going, just to keep interacting with each other. Because if you're in a role that you don't get to talk to other people that are in that role, yes. that all by itself feels lonely. Yeah, and the, the other caveat to this, I think, is making sure that we're being inclusive in those things, right? So the idea of, are there people who we, we need to be invited? Are there voices in the room that are in the room? Are there folks that we want to make sure that they know that they belong? And I think, and I'm guilty of this many, many times where I assume you know you're invited or that you are a part of, but I think it's really, really important to invite people in. Like, hey, we're going to do X. Do you want to come with us? Even if I think you know you're welcome, extending that welcome and that invitation, I think is really important to helping people know they're a connected neighbor. There has been times that that has happened and it surprises me because I'm largely a black and white sort of, you know, it's like, you know, what you said, this is what I heard. How can that be misinterpreted? Right. But you can misinterpret things. Right. Still. And times where someone they were asked, right. You know, hey, you know, why don't you come along with us? 
And later you, they did it, choose to, and later you find out, like, they didn't really ask me, like, but, but, but we did. Nah, it didn't really sound like, sometimes you have to be more clear than you think and make sure people feel like, yeah, we're all doing this together. I got your back and we are going to go do this. You know, let's go hang out. And I think it's also, it's an okay thing if somebody says no. Sure, no, no, absolutely. We, I use the analogy of extending an umbrella. And when I talk about compassion work, um, it only matters that we, we're in a rainstorm, it's crazy rain, and you have an umbrella, I don't. You can extend your umbrella to me. And the way the story kind of goes is, I've never seen share their umbrella and get mad at the other person for not having an umbrella. Nobody yells at them or say, gosh, you didn't check the weather today, what's wrong with you? Everybody's smiling and laughing. And it's, and people are like, well, what happens if somebody says no? That's okay, it only matters that we extend our umbrella. Somebody can choose to continue to walk in the rain if that's what they want to do, that's okay. At some point, they may come back to you and say, hey, I'd really love to get under your umbrella, if you don't mind. And so extending that invitation and helping people belong, because there are some times where we don't know what may also be going on in other people's lives, what is driving those decisions. What I think matters is that you extend it and that they know you extended it, and then they can make their own decision from there. Yeah. Okay. What else should we know to try to improve employee engagement in some sense? And this is a wrap-up question, not the eight-hour workshop question, yeah, which yeah, I'm yeah. sure we could do, right? Yeah, but, for sure. But is there anything that stands out that says, here's a tip that would be helpful? There are two. One is it's a long game. Engagement is a long game. It isn't something that's manifest itself overnight or even in a week or two weeks. It really is. When I talk about culture, culture is how it feels to work here, how it feels to be here. And those things develop over time. The second thing that I think is particularly important is when we go back to the evidence-based practice is using data to help drive decision-making. And so I would want to know and make sure that data is both valid and re reliable that the psychometrics of that data are good. So you can, in other words, you can trust the data. Otherwise you're just using bad data that end up making bad decisions. And so it's a long game and you need data. You need data you can trust. That's helpful. Before when you said about the culture aspect of I got your back, I think that's so important, right? When I do this RPA experience with companies, I'm listening for the discussion and if there's that going on. And every now and then someone else, how would you describe the culture to someone you're at a dinner party with if that came up? And listening to those responses. And I love hearing something like that, right? Yeah, I really feel like everyone's got my back. Yeah. Fantastic. Dr. Bradshaw, how can people find out more about your work? And I'm sure you, I know you got this book out, you got other resources available. Yeah, tons of resources. Probably the best way is to contact me at Dr. B. Shuck. Last name is S-H-U-C-K-D-R-B-S-H-U-C-K. And we're on all the major socials. I'd love to find or to share resources with listeners, anything around the research or any evidence or any statistics that they need. But at Dr. B. Shuck is the best way to find me. Okay. And I did find a website for you too. Yes. Is that a good place to go to? Yeah, it's a perfect website. It's drbshuck.com and everything is integrated right there. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, thanks for spending time with us. Thanks for presenting at the conference this year too. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And listeners, just as a reminder, if you do want a written summary of what we talked about, including a one-page action guide of key takeaways for you so that you can put some of these ideas to help improve engagement into action immediately, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 415. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. 
Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.